Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drantz here with you on Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Keep your texts coming in on the 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dunbar, DunbarLumber.com. And finally, JamPro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact JamPro for a free, no obligation quote. So, have you watched Dynasty yet? Dynasty? I've not watched all of it, no. Okay, so... um. First two episodes only debuted on Apple mm-hmm. uh, this week. Yes. And it's the Brady, Belichick, Patriots run, right? So I, I watched this with great interest because I'm a football fan. And one thing that was kind of funny to me was, you know, I know the story so intimately that and and yet this series is not for me, right? It's, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I, like, can't wait to watch episodes three and four. Yeah. But... It's not paced or set up for a hardcore football fan. Right. It's it's like it's got the dramatic beats that would appeal more to normies. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, the first episode. Now, I, I hate to. Uh, do I have to do a spoiler? Dom, rule in on this. Do I have to do a spoiler alert for a sports documentary chronicling the two thousand and one NFL season? It doesn't hurt to say, spoiler alert, spoiler. so this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, if you've never visited Football Reference in 2001, put your earmuffs on now. And if this show specifically is how you want to get into football, <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. Yeah. then you're in trouble. So the first episode ends with, like, the first episode focuses on Drew Bledsoe getting hurt, Tom Brady taking over as the starter. And what? Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> I, had a, I had a PBR. And like and like the cliffhanger at the end, okay, is that Drew Bledsoe is medically cleared, and despite a torrent of criticism, Belichick decides to stick with Brady, and Brady goes into a game against the Rams and throws two interceptions. And it's like, two what? interceptions, like Tom Brady, man, he sucks. And then it's like, final score. Rams 24, Patriots 17, and then like all these like media things that are like, Brady cost us the game, and like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it ends, and I'm just like, I remember the 2001 Rams. I remember that they were like 8 and 1 going into that game. Pretty good. And I guarantee you, although historical data, because I did look for it, on, on gambling lines doesn't exist. <laughs> but, but I promise you that Tom Brady covered in that game and probably covered like an alt line up to about plus 350 by having by losing only by a touchdown. The Rams were a monster. Mm-hmm. That was like the Lovey Smith defense, Mike Martz, like losing to it by a touchdown to the Rams. I know as a hardcore football fan that that was not a bad performance and yet they're really going out of their way to be like Belichick made this bold call and Brady stunk up the joint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's just no way that's the case, right? But again, it's built to like appeal to it's it's a my, better story. It's a better story. It's built yeah. to appeal to my mom, right? Like and it's not inaccurate. It's just it doesn't have the sports fan context to it. And Why so, am I imagining you calling up your bookie and being like 
Hey, so who do call- you remember in 2001? Who calls up a bookie? <laughs> yeah. I just visit playnow.com. I know you. And use my game sense. I know we can do playnow.com. He knows his limit and he plays within it, Dom. <laughs> Come on. And I'm just imagining Drance has a bookie on retainer. <laughs> For specific situations. A historical context. I have a multitude of apps. <laughs> I, I hunt for the best price and take advantage of all bonus offers. Trance is his own bookie, man. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking about this because on some level, it got me thinking about how the human storytelling story, storytelling element, the, the part of this that they're leaning into, perhaps to appeal to like a fan who's gotten into F1 through... Um, the the drive series on drive Netflix, New yeah, season and, out, and maybe has just and maybe has just newly come to football through Taylor Swift or something, right? Like a the, uh, that's very much who the documentary feels calibrated to in a way that in no way diminishes my enjoyment of it so much as it got me thinking about the fact that like the human storytelling element, what what the what, what this weekend means for the Canucks in the frame of like what story are we in? Right, is right. something that sometimes escapes me because I'm so focused on like the analytical nitty gritty of of what's happening. Um, because I'm a hardcore sports fan, mm-hmm. and I make contact content mostly for hardcore sports fans. So I wanted to go through this exercise with you. I wanted to pitch you on an exercise. Okay. I want us to imagine because we don't know the future. Well, much as I like to pretend. Yeah. We don't know the future. So I want to throw at you three possible storylines. That we could be in for this Vancouver Canucks team, right? Mm-hmm. And what this weekend would represent if it were like the end of an episode. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. What this weekend would represent in terms of fleshing out that overall story. So story one, high end, right? This team is about to go into the playoffs and win 16 games. Woo. And finally end this city's and this franchise's lengthy cup drought. I like this one so far. Possible story, too, is like clubs going to go into the playoffs and and account for themselves well. Maybe they go out in, you know, late in the second round. Maybe they go out in the third round, but they're going to go into the playoffs and sustain a run into May, and it's going to be a ton of fun, and they're going to look like they've arrived with a shot. So a story 100% not worthy of a documentary at all. Right, <laughs> but but a story nonetheless. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's season one of the building of the dog. Right, the, right. Fair enough. And then the third story would be teams going to make the playoffs because they're not going to fall to the point where they don't pick up sixteen points in their next thirty games or twenty five games. But they'll make the playoffs, but they're going to disappoint. What are your takeaways in each like level of story? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So what what does this weekend mean for each of those? Yeah. Three so let's stories? start with the championship one. I'll I'll defer to you, and then uh, and then I've got one. I still. So if this is the championship one, yeah, I the st- glorious story. Yeah, I still don't think this is even the the low point. You know. Oh, okay. In terms of like, no director is going to look at this weekend and be like, that was the worst part of the Canucks season because they still haven't wa- lost three in a row. Yeah. They still haven't like they still got to play the Kings. They still got to play Vegas. What I would say the low point potentially could be, and we can't predict the future again. That would be like, hey, you lose a couple games to Vegas, fall out of the division lead, whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have to play Vegas in the in the playoffs at Ooh. some point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to create drama. Here. Wow. Yeah, that's negative. Good for you. No wonder you've got such a bright future in Vancouver media. 
<laughs> I mean, they still win in this story. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So, for me, for me, it's this. Like, I'm watching these games this weekend, and fundamentally, I thought the Canucks played well. Right? I, I really did. Five on five, I thought their game was cooking. And whenever Quinn Hughes is on the ice right now, this team leaves even really solid veteran defensive teams like the the Jets in the wild just like hanging on by their fingernails. Mm-hmm. The way that this team sets up shop and and gets those sort of dizzying sustained offensive zone shifts often with like other forwards changing as the shift goes on. I love when that happens by the way for any team. Well, for any halfway team halfway through a shift and you start changing I'm like man you guys are killing it right now but, but this team this team seems to do it with remarkable ease yes. like one thing I don't know that they do at a championship level is translate that into a litany of really good scoring chances I feel like there's a lot of control that goes nowhere it's more of a possession thing than it's more of a possession high, thing. Ch- high danger chance but thing. the way that they set up like that to me is a thing could this team get into a playoff series against you know one of the best teams in the league and ultimately it's like Vancouver's best thing their ability to bend space and time with the Fuseronic pair on the ice could that be better than another team's best thing than another great team's best thing and and there's a chance there's a chance like for me I think about when the Canucks went down 6-5 mm-hmm. to the Wild so the the meltdown was in full progress but wasn't quite solidified until Marco Rossi kicked that puck in. Which by the way was a sick skill play. Yeah, that was good. He saw angled it. it properly. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't just a silly deflection. That was a guy who intentionally directed a puck into um the net with his skate. Lovely, lovely work by yeah. Rossi. But after the Wild went up six five, the Canucks had like five scoring chances in a row. Mm-hmm. They actually threw their fastball at the Wild and were pretty unlucky to not level the score before the Rossi kick. There's like, that, the one uh, Niels Hoaglander chance where yep. he got the puck right in front, bounced a bit, didn't finish it. Like the game's totally different if he gets gets hundred percent. But but either way, their level of control there, like that was scary, man. That was championship caliber stuff. So as I'm thinking about what this weekend means in the context of a team with a shot, I, I did feel like a lot of the things this team did well, they were able to do well at at a level that really eclipsed. Two pretty solid Central Division teams, uh, even though they came out on the losing end in both games. So that, to me, was like omnipresent, very much front uh, and center, even if the Canucks' results weren't great over the course of this weekend. All right. So now this is the, like, it's good, but it's not what you hope for. Sort of the middle road outcome here. Oh, so the the win, maybe a round or two. Maybe, maybe a round or two, yeah. Definitely win a round. Win a round. This feels like the uh, this weekend would be the hey. This was the sign of things to come in the playoffs mm. part of the season, where especially I, I kind of mentioned it. The composure you, you kind of see like hey, when this team gets angry, they don't really handle themselves as well as a playoff team that goes deep should. And maybe that's something they shore up as the season goes on. But if they were to lose after a round or two, I think this would be the weekend where it's hey, we kind of saw the the glimpses of it. And it showed itself in the playoffs. So I, I, I think that's the right approach globally here. The, for me, it would be sort of the fragility of a couple of strengths that this team has had all season, right? Although Vancouver has proven to struggle a little bit more against teams that score off the rush than they have against, 
you know, p- more possession-based teams like your Carolina Hurricanes brand clubs. Teams like Boston, teams like St. Louis, teams like Detroit, certainly teams like Winnipeg. Um, give the Can- Vegas, New Jersey. Give the Canucks a little uh, when they're healthy. Mm-hmm. Give the Canucks a little bit more trouble. Um, despite that. On balance, this team's been one of the best rush defensive teams in the entire league all year. And yet, that felt pretty fragile when Winnipeg took a can opener to their entire defensive structure on two consecutive breakouts and like passed the puck past Demko to seal that game on Saturday. And then you come out to that wild game and like the wild had a grade A chance off the rush in the first period. They had another one that Yoel Eriksson deflected home with his skate. Then they had two consecutive breakaways in the second period and scored on the second one of them. Now, that game wasn't decided off the rush ultimately. It was decided on the power play. But, you know, to me, we're sort of beginning to see the seams of Vancouver's rush defensive game, a strength of theirs all year, just kind of taking on some water. And, you know, to me, uh, there's a big reason for it, and it's the absence of Carson Soucy. I think it really hurts them Mm -hmm. in this area. Uh, and that in combination with the forward depth thing, right? The the fact that with Hoaglander and Pew Suter uh, promoted, Ilya Mikheyev kind of sputtering, um, Dakota Joshua hurt, Connor Garland, who will play tonight, but maybe not be at 100%. You know, they're going to try Baines in the lineup, which means someone like DiGiuseppe or Lafferty's coming out. Lafferty's gone quiet. Like, all of a sudden, this team's offensive push from their bottom six feels tenuous. And that's been a massive strength of theirs all year long. So for me, when I think about these two games, you know, if it's signal that this team's going to be still formidable, but, but maybe not be able to get over the top, it's like, we're, it's sort of the softness that we're beginning to see in various areas that have been bread and butter aspects of their team's success to this point. One, and sorry, one thing I was kind of throwing around with you before the show that I've been thinking about after watching these last two games as well is obviously Dakota Joshua has not been in the lineup. And one thing that I think the Canucks did really well when things were kind of snowballing on them or it felt like they were losing control of games was they would go to that third line, Joshua Bluger and Garland. They would have a great shift in the offensive zone. What would probably happen is what you mentioned. They would have a shift change mid-offensive zone. Yeah. A better offensive line would come on and maybe they'd create a chance. But regardless, the Canucks would grab hold of the momentum. And since McKayev has been there, I just don't know if they have been able to do that at as high of a level. And so when you don't have that momentum shifting line, that's when I think things can kind of snowball on you, both emotionally and also kind of in the run of play, especially uh, what we saw against Minnesota yesterday and against Winnipeg on Saturday. I think it's a really good point. I do think they are missing (laughs) that, like, Mr. Fix-It. Look, it's their most reliable five-on-five line, period. Mm -hmm. And I, I do think without that trio going, um, you know, you're, you're seeing how important they are. Like, really, you, you really are seeing how important they are uh, and how much less than the sum of their parts they are when you, when you remove Joshua from the, um, from the equation. All right. If we're in the Canucks dream season ends in a flameout, what was this weekend? What, what, what did this weekend represent? It almost feels like the the same thing, but I, I guess it would be if I had to put something on it. I, I guess it would be the start of 
like kind of a bigger downward spiral that mm. happens during the regular season that then just carries into the playoffs. Right. This would be like the tilting point where, hey, now you got to go play some better teams. You got obviously the Avalanche tonight. You got Boston coming up. And I mentioned the four LA games, three Vegas games. Like this would be the start. If, they, if that's the grand story, this would be the start of things really unraveling for the Canucks throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. And you're still going to make the playoffs because you, you're just 100% going to make the playoffs at this point. But you would be stumbling in there and would not have a good first round. Fair. Uh, for me, it's going to be the penalty kill, right? We've talked uh, talked at length about the penalty kill. It's a it's a massive organizational success that the penalty kill has gotten to within shouting distance of league average. But this weekend, we saw that there's still a lot of work to do, right? If you remove, like the thing about penalty killing is to be one of the league's better penalty kills, you really have to avoid getting just absolutely lit up the way the Canucks did by both Winnipeg that feels pretty crucial. and by Minnesota. Yeah. So, like, for example, if you remove going into the game against Minnesota, right, the Canucks were top 15 in the league. They're now 21st. Okay? Mm-hmm. Since January 1st, the Canucks were 84.5% on the PK. That was sixth best in the league since the calendar flipped to 2024. Once you factor that game in, 79.7. That's 12th best in the league. A game like that, like one game like that, will kill you. And one game like that in the playoffs at the wrong time, ask the San Jose Sharks, will kill you. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it, kill you dead. I don't know I don't know that the penalty kill is at the level yet where it's not going to be a liability for this team once they get into a matchup against McDavid or Dreisaitl or you know the Avs or the Dallas Stars even or the Winnipeg Jets like I I, you know I do think that over time that's still an issue going to be an issue that surfaces for this team I, I think it's good enough from the perspective of making the playoffs now, I think the improvement there is commendable. Players, coaching staff, everyone deserves a ton of management for identifying the players that they did, Cole and, and company. It's been a huge year-over-year improvement, but it's still not at a high enough level. And and I think we saw that with the silly infractions, with the pucks over glass, with just the mistakes that kept piling up um, four on five. Like, I, I just don't know that this team as constructed has the bodies to be better than average and you might need to be better than average against some of these opponents come playoff time do you think it's a personnel thing one thing that's been really confusing to me and we saw moments of it was mckayev seemed to be ramping up on the penalty kill seemed to be getting some chances there and then yesterday he had zero minutes on the penalty kill yeah he hasn't been playing pretty much any pk i just I, I'm really not sold on, and I, I know a lot of people aren't sold on JT Miller on the on the PK. And sometimes you do have to put him out there if you got to win a face-off, whatever. I get it, but I just wonder if a they're missing Dakota Joshua yeah. and Carson Susie as well. And then also, I just feel like you're not putting your best guys out there in in most situations. Yeah, I mean the the problem is is a lot of the people that say Miller shouldn't be on the penalty killer relying on underlying data. And the thing with underlying data is, and and I've worked with penalty killing data for years. The problem is is that every guy who jumps over the boards first looks like they completely suck mm-hmm. by the underlying data because you lose a single draw, 
and your goalie might have to make two saves right yeah. you you might you might be on the ice for a minute with five shot attempts and you know versus a guy who's coming in to change on the fly and gets to like four check <laughs> coming yeah, off the bat like it's enough. it's such a difference so i really struggle to evaluate miller as a penalty killer given that i don't really trust the data mm-hmm. with the role that he's thrown into I, I do think we run into these issues with certain player types especially guys who are like outwardly tough and big and win draws and do all those intangible things where it's like hard to separate the obvious loudness of their skill set from the fact that being big and tough and winning draws isn't actually being a good defensive player yeah and and i don't, I don't know i mean I don't think Miller should be a big part of the penalty kill, personally. But that's also more about not putting him in a stationary defensive situation where he's going to have to block shots. I think when you've got Lindholm, Bluger, Joshua, um, you know, Amon, Patterson, uh, I think you've got enough options that he he doesn't need to be... You don't need to, like, strain to get him over the boards first, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's my view of it. I, I don't think he's a particularly great penalty killer, but I don't think he's as bad as some of the data or some of his detractors would suggest. That's fair. I, I can agree with that. It's just more of a, like, I, I would rather see other guys out there, to your point, um, than JT Miller. It is Canucks talk. On the other side, Ryan Bolding, he uh, covers the avalanche for NHL.com, will join us. We'll get into the opposition ahead of tonight's game in Colorado. But before we go... Uh, by the way, Josh Elliott, Wolf, Thomas Strands here with you. Before we go, it's time for the Giants report with Nathan Cantor. The Vancouver Giants continue to close the gap in the Western Conference standing. Still in sixth place, but inching ever closer to fifth. Now just three points back in the Wenatchee Wild following a strong week in which they played four times, going 3-1 and one. in games on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and most recently yesterday on Family Day, wrapping up their fourth game in six days with a 6-3 win. It was their eighth straight win on home ice yesterday over the Spokane Chiefs, which is the second longest current home winning streak in the WHL. Head coach Manny Vivero said after the game he felt his team was almost too calm in that second period when the game was tied, but they showed more urgency in the third. I wish we had a bit more urgency urgency to jump to our, our, our game, but we got that back in the third period, and the kids are understanding that. Uh, you know, we're, like I've said this before, we're learning how to win and how our team needs to, to play to win. And um, you know, we've said it before, we play against different teams. Uh, you know, Portland can win games in different ways, but we can't win games like that. We have to play a certain way, a certain style. Balanced scoring and elite goaltending continue to be the top two storylines for the Giants. Six different players scored in Monday's win after two defensemen and a forward scored in Friday's win after four different players scored in Wednesday's win over Victoria. And so while the Giants may not have a single player in the top 50 in league scoring, they certainly have depth as six players will likely reach the 20-goal plateau. Meanwhile, in goal, Brett Merwald picked up his 13th win in the new year. That's more than any other WHL goaltender since January 1st. Merwald has won seven straight starts, and he's 10-0-1 in his last 11 games with a 9-40 save percentage. Upcoming, the Giants have just two games this weekend, but they're big divisional matchups. They'll travel to Kelowna on Friday to take on the seventh-place Rockets. Then on Saturday, they'll host the suddenly surging Kamloops Blazers for Remax Presents Nickelodeon Night on Saturday at the LEC at 7 p.m. 
giant SpongeBob SquarePants night will include special activations where fans will have an opportunity to win great prizes both in-game and online. Fans will also have a chance to win one of these unique SpongeBob SquarePants themed jerseys through a jersey raffle with net proceeds going to BC Children's Hospital. As always, you can get your tickets to Saturday's game or any Giants game this season at VancouverGiants.com tickets. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Cantor. and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bic Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Drantz here with you today, filling in I'm filling in for Jamie Dodd. You're always here on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Coming to you live from the Kintex studio. And uh, in a moment, we're going to go to the hotline brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. Going to get into the avalanche side of things. They have not had a uh, wonderful month of February since the All-Star break. They are 2-4-1, I believe, but they've won their uh they won their last game. So, and again, in if everything was going to plan, this is a scheduled loss for the Canucks. So, a lot of I don't want to say pressure on them, but if they show up tonight, this is this is a big moment to uh to put your uh, foot to the pedal a bit and show that you are you're you're those guys. It, it, look, elevation makes it tough every time. This Canucks team, though, even before they were good, um, had a habit of playing Colorado really good in Colorado too. You know, the most complete game of the Boudreaux era was played in Colorado. Um, I don't know if you remember that game. They started. Yaroslav Halak <laughs> and they yeah. won 4-2 like uh, everyone assumed that was just going to be a bloodbath mm-hmm. uh, the year the Avs won the cup and and it wasn't so you know look we'll see it, it's it's definitely a tough test uh, for me the main thing I want to see from the Canucks tonight especially given the way that the defending the rush has been their Achilles heel you know this Colorado Avalanche team is the premier uh, rush attacking club in the NHL like they are the best at it by a mile and so I'm really curious to see how they handle that like I want to see I definitely don't want to see regardless of what saves Demko makes I don't want to see five or six really good scoring chances off odd man stuff or breakaways uh, off the rush I, I think that to me is like the signal that I'll be looking for tonight for sure. Let's go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline where we bring in Ryan Bolding, covers the avalanche for NHL.com. Thanks for taking the time, Ryan. How are you? Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm good. I just crushed a couple Girl Scout cookies. I'm feeling it. Woo. What uh, What flavor? The Samoas. I used to hate uh, them. I used to not like the coconut, but now I can't get enough. Yeah, I can't say I'm a fan personally, but I respect it. I respect it. Um, so, are you uh, are you hoping for a 10-7 game in Colorado tonight, like we saw the Canucks play uh, against the Wild yesterday? Or 
You know, I, I'm one of those people that has to write on a deadline, and I only get so many words. So that's kind of like my worst nightmare <laughs> yeah. to, to have to write a game like that. And I've written, I feel like, a lot of uh, kind of lopsided avalanche games. So I'm not sure I'm excited to see that, although it would be a lot of fun to see that many goals again. Yeah, and so I kind of mentioned it before we brought you in here, but the Avs, it hasn't been a banner month of February for them so far. Two and four and one coming out of the All-Star break. Has there been a has there been a glaring issue in how they're playing, or is it just kind of a cold stretch? Yeah, I think this is a team that kind of has historically struggled after breaks, um, you know, dating back to some of these guys like Nathan McKinnon, Mika Rundin's younger years. I don't really know what it is. We had talked to Jared Bednar about it right before the break happened, and he was kind of happy that a lot of teams were having this bi-week all-star break kind of scenario, and he said it was going to be the teams that figured it out the quickest, you know, that, that kind of took off and started separating from the pack. So I do think it's been a little surprising that this has been going on. I think Georgiev has been a little, um, you know, sporadic in net maybe. I think that's fair to say, um, you know, sometimes contributions from some of the depth players in the lineup don't come when they're needed. Uh, and I think those are kind of things that have contributed to the problem. And then the penalty killing, they're not really thrilled. I talked to Devon Taves about it after the game on Sunday. He said they need to be better. Jared Bednar kind of reaffirmed that today after morning skate. So the, couple areas there I think that this team could tighten up on and you start to see them put it all together they get real dangerous Ryan the Avs have done this thing loading up and playing you know a a sort of a five-man unit with that McKinnon line Taves McCarr on a regular basis how much has that dynamic uh, sort of powered their good moments this season yeah, I don't even think just this season, but many yeah. seasons, you know, that having Kale McCarr out there, I mean, it's similar to having Quinn Hughes out there, right? It's just an extra forward at times and Almost then also very sturdy defenseman. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I think that, yeah, the point you made is it's – this year has almost just been the McKinnon show. Like, Miko has gone on a tear at different points this season, but Nathan McKinnon has scored a point in every home game this year. 26 home games. This is the, the team with the best home record. Like, they know how to get it done at home. And some nights, you know, Nathan McKinnon takes over. Some nights he just contributes one assist. But it's a, a guy who drives the engine. And then you talk about the five-man unit. I mean, really, the power play – and, and you know this with Vancouver as well, like the power play really gets it done and can, can propel this team to victory on nights where maybe they don't have their best effort. Nathan McKinnon, you mentioned him. He's he's on fire this year. It kind of feels like he's he's taken another step on top of what was already like he was amazing already. He's factored in on forty four percent of all the Avalanche goals so far this season. Has there has there been anything different in in how he's approaching this season and and kind of what's contributed to to having such an amazing year so far? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been trying to dig into this for a while. I know Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette has gotten a little bit of information on it, but um, McKinnon has constantly talked about the work he does away from the rink as being a part of this success he's having, but then he won't tell us specifically what that is. Um, and the team has talked about, you know, his recovery process, 
Um, they're, they joked, but it was still serious that they're probably the slowest team in the league at leaving an away team's building because they, McKinnon has a process that he goes through for recovery, and they're happy to oblige it when he's performing the way he is, right? So it's a couple of those things. He has said more than once that the, he sees the game slower right now, and particularly when he's performing at the level he has, where I, I guess just everything kind of falls into place, right? He's he's in the flow state, and, he, and he's got it going on, and he's got that great hockey vision, and he's so fast with his feet and his hands and the way he thinks the game. Like, he's just thinking ahead of people. You know, it's kind of one of those really, like, S-tier level athlete abilities, and we get to see it a lot and, and and a lot this season in particular what sorry go ahead just uh i want to i want to ask about Makar. uh feels like this is the year that quinn uh, that quinn hughes is going to break through and win the norris the the vegas markets reflect that is that the right thing is that right in your view, um, given how Makar has still been at an outrageously high level and their scoring stats are still directly comparable? Yeah, I don't I don't think that is an unfair statement to make. You know, Kale McCarr isn't having the best season of his career. He's not having a terrible season by any means. I mean, he's got 60 points in 51 games. Um his career best is 86 points in 77 games in 2021-22. He had 28 goals, so he's not even halfway there yet. What he's accomplished as a young player, you know, is outstanding. It's phenomenal. It's incredible to witness, you know, him kind of take down these decades-old records and what he's been able to do in just a short period of time. But it's it hasn't been his best season, and I think he would even say that to you. You know, it's he started the year off injured. He ended last year injured. Um, you know, he's been kind of in and out a bit. So I would say that it's fair that it's more Quinn's Quinn's race to lose at this point. And for Makar, it feels like the it's kind of the McDavid treatment too, where it's like, hey, if you're not having above and away the best season in the NHL and like buy a lot for a defenseman, the Norris is uh, at this point probably going to go to someone else because that's that's kind of the standard he's set. And again, it's similar to McDavid where you're not going to win the heart unless you're far and away better than everybody else, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you bring up the heart conversation because it seems like this could be the year that McKinnon gets serious consideration for the heart trophy. And I think it's deserved in this case. You know, sometimes there's a lot of grumbling out here about he doesn't get enough recognition for it. But when you have, you know, a a healthy avalanche team with a line of McKinnon, uh, Makar, Rantanen, Gabe Landeskog, you know, it's hard to say, well, this one guy was the engine. Um, But this year, in many cases, he has been. So it's funny to say, Maybe Kale McCarr is not having the best season of his career, and this might not be a Norris year for him. But on the other hand, there's Nathan McKinnon just willing this team on. With how things are shaking out in the Central, does it feel like it matters for the Avalanche to win the division? Like, is there an edge in in your estimation to the Avs? sort of locking the stars and the jets into a series um or is it very much more just make it this team has the experience and and sort of the focus isn't on that sort of like micro jockeying for position down the stretch here i love this question because it's something that we talked about quite a bit especially with the way the last year ended with avalanche 
kind of limping into the postseason and getting knocked out. We kept asking about how important it was to win the division last year, and Jared Bednar kept deflecting it. And then when they did, he came out and said, well, that was a goal of ours from the start of the season. And you wondered at what cost was winning the division important down that last stretch because you had guys like Kale McCarr playing 30 minutes a game in December, and it was just an unsustainable workload. You had a lot of guys who started the season injured, couldn't get healthy, ended the season injured. Um, and so you, you were left wondering how, how badly did that hurt this Avalanche team going into the postseason last year. And again this year they've admitted – Winning the division is a goal that starts at the the start of the season, and they work to that all season long. So I'm not even sure it's about, you know, the ideal playoff matchup, locking the Stars and Jets into playing each other. If it's, you know, an opportunity to, to play, let's say, L.A. or the Blues that we're looking at right now. I think it's more about the pride that comes with being at the pinnacle and and pushing for that. And, you know, at times this year, they've get, they've given a real run for that. And at times they haven't. Like now, they've, you know, been trying to fix this area and that area, and it hasn't all come together again to make them that juggernaut that they can be. But it is very important to them internally as a goal. One thing that uh, comes up, when a team like the Avalanche is is playing at the level they've been at is you have to pay guys obviously like McKinnon, McCarr, all all these guys you have to pay and so the depth around the team starts to feel it a little bit and gets a little more tested. How is that depth performing so far this year for the Avalanche and also in net how where where's the confidence level with uh, Georgiev at the moment? Yeah, I think that's a great question. We've seen it a little bit. You know, I think JT Comfer had a a pretty good year for the team last year. He obviously earned a large contract and went to Detroit with that. It's one of those situations you saw, um, you know, Darcy Kemper get paid, Philip Grubauer get paid, um, Nazem Kadri get paid. You know, you, you see these guys get paid and move on, and I think the team's been pretty okay with that you know, with the ability to kind of fill in the gaps. I think Georgiev coming in, he's a guy that Chris McFarland said had been on their radar for some time, so they were happy to bring him in. I think when he is on, he is very on. This is a guy that doesn't like to see goals scored. I asked him about the, the frozen frenzy where all the teams were playing in the same day and ESPN was doing this, you know, red zone type broadcast. And he said he wouldn't watch it because he doesn't like to watch goals. And he knew that that would be what it was highlighting. Like he's a guy that doesn't like pucks going in the net. And so when he's turned on, I mean, he's lights out, but sometimes it seems like maybe he's not getting the help from the unit in front of him. Um, and that's resulting in a lot of goals against uh, for him. So I do think there's a high level of confidence. And the real question has been, how do we not play him into the ground here? You know, what can the Avalanche do for a backup situation? Um, obviously, Pavel Francouz is out for the season, and they've kind of been scrambling. They had Prosvitov up as a backup for a long time, but his minutes just started to diminish to a point where it was almost comical that he wasn't getting games. Now he's down in the AHL. Eustace Annanen is up here. He's he's played in a, a handful of games, but it's one of those situations where I think that's probably going to be a, a target for them. How do we get somebody in here who can reliably take some of the gas away from Georgiev, give him a little bit of rest, but he's a guy that commands the net. And then in general, on the on the depth side of things, I think it's gone okay. 
This team was without Arturi Lekkonen for a while. He went awkwardly into the boards and had a neck injury early in the season in a game against Seattle. Um, and I think the team performed admirably without him, but that was with Valeri Nichushkin really being a workhorse. And now he has been in the Players Assistance Program since about January 10th, I think. Uh, and this team is starting to miss him, I think, on average nights. You know, Ryan Johansson, Johansson was brought in um, this season. He hasn't scored a goal since December 29th. You know, he's been up and down the lineup. That's a situation that's becoming a little concerning. On the other hand, Miles Wood has been playing lights out. Ross Colton has brought a lot of energy and has been good for this team. Logan O'Connor, I mean, he was playing on the top line at, at times and producing. Um, he's having a great season in that depth role. So they bring in Zach Parise. You want to see how he does. I think he's been pretty good so far as he's getting up to speed. Maybe he's got another level. Chris Wagner just joined the lineup. He was out with a after having surgery on a ruptured Achilles. So he's just kind of getting back up to NHL speed, a guy that can dip in and out of the lineup. I think as these pieces kind of come together, when Nechushkin comes back, that's obviously a big boost for this team. And then maybe they look at some sort of second-line center replacement situation where you can get the, the Ross Colton, Miles Wood, Logan O'Connor line to be that solid third line and not have to eat second-line minutes. Hey, Ryan, really appreciate you taking time and enjoy uh, the game tonight. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hopefully it's a good one. Hopefully. Should be fun. Should be fun. There's Ryan Boldine. Covers the Avalanche for NHL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at rbolding. Um, We haven't made too much of it yet, but McCarr versus Hughes tonight in Colorado. I don't know what... I was going to say V2 or what, but it's like, I don't know what version we're on. Oh, we're on, yeah. I mean, 17. Uh, Makar won the first matchup, hands down, of this season. Mm-hmm. And yet, Hughes is winning the overall war and that he's going to win the Norris. Mm-hmm. Quinny, it, Quinny, listen. Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman on the planet right now. Yes. Period. Full stop. Kale McCarr obviously has the belt. You know, like, we we give him the deference of having won a Conn Smythe. He won the Conn Smythe, right? I think he won the Conn Smythe. Kale McCarr? Yeah. Yes. Um, but he definitely has won the Norris. He definitely won the Calder. Yeah, he's got a Conn Smythe. I mean, he deserves... He's, he's bigger than Hughes's. He's a better shooter than Hughes's. Okay? He's got the belt. I'm not disputing that. But no defenseman on the planet is more impactful right now than Quinn Hughes. And when you think about, like, that Jets game, right, the Canucks didn't actually outplay the Jets unless Hughes was on the ice. (laughs) But when Hughes was on the ice... And he's on the ice often. It was Vancouver's game. And, you know, it's every every single game. Like, I I wrote at The Athletic today, and, and I encourage everybody to check it out. Or not. Your call. But I wrote it today about the Hughes effect. Because the extent to which he is driving things for the Canucks is preposterous. Like JT Miller with and without Hughes goes from, you know, a 54% shot attempt control uh, share to 45% without him. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Elias Pettersson is plus 19 goal differential five on five with Hughes minus three without him. Yeah. Right. Um, the primary driver of this team success. Usually you get this with a forward line. 
You get like a forward line that changes the dynamic of a team. You see it with McDavid. You see it with Matthews. You see it with McKinnon. You'll see it tonight. Mm-hmm. And for the Canucks, it's like there are Hughes minutes and there are non-Hughes minutes. It's a, it's. I don't think there's another defender in the league right now that impacts the game as much. Just period. And so it's fun for these head to have head matchups to happen. But it's like Kucherov outdueled McKinnon in Colorado. McKinnon's still going to probably win the heart unless McDavid closes really strong. Yeah. You know? Um, McCarr might outplay Hughes for a second time this season, but Hughes' impact is still going to win him the Norris. Yeah, and it's the other thing I mentioned as well is McCarr, he has to be like head and shoulders, I think, above everyone in the NHL to be the Norris favorite. And Hughes is clearly in, like you said, he has been the best. He's been he's been driving play for the Canucks. He's been the best defenseman in the league this season. So he's clearly deserving of the Norris. But even if he was like shoulder to shoulder with Makar, it would probably go to Hughes just because it's more impressive for Hughes to be doing this than it would be for Makar to be doing this, right? Well, I also think um, Makar has and, and typically has had more to work with until this season. Right, like I think finally the team success has caught up with Hughes's individual quality, mm-hmm. and I think that's why you're seeing this story change, the narrative change. Like, I don't know that the edge, you know, if you're talking about the Con Smythe being like the trump card that Makar holds, right? Well, you can't win the Con Smythe if you don't make the playoffs. It's pretty. Uh pretty tough you know you can't might win, not be possible you can't win the con Smythe if your team gets outscored like they're the anaheim ducks last season without you on the ice um you know a lot of the recognition that hughes is getting now in my view and granted it's reflective of the fact that he changed his shooting game in particular right yeah. I, I do think he's meaningfully improved this season but the two-way impact stuff that stuff's always been there it's just gone to another level with it with a team that offers him more support and it's been a joy to watch. Just so much fun. Keep your texts coming in. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we'll get to some of them on the other side. It is Canucks Talk. Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strance here on Sportsnet 650. Listen to the wind blow. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. It is Josh Elliott Wolf, Thomas Strand. Josh isn't. Um, I can't tell it. Did you do that on air? Yeah. Or was that in my ear? This is okay. fake Wood Mac, Josh. <laughs> oh, no. Initiated to the I show. I listen to Canucks Talk. I listen. I mean, I've seen it. I've watched Canucks Talk. I know all about fake Wood Mac. All about <laughs> fake Wood Mac. Which is about this. This is the limit of what I know. Anyway. And if you don't love me now. Canucks talk. You love this song so much. <laughs> um, Jampro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact Jampro for a free, no obligation quote. Visit jampro.ca. Keep your text coming in. 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. Sometimes when you eat in break, it's hard to like fight the uh, the burp. The burp, you know. That, and that, I think the more air, you talk, yeah. well, I'm not doing it on air. We, we just heard it. Did you? Yeah. There's no way. 
We heard the little, like, you backed off. I paused. Yeah, yeah. Better than hearing the burp, though. Yeah. Do you want me to burp into the mic next time? No, no, no. You asked for it. If Jan Pro had a license-free version, it would be Pandro. Why? You just flipped it? You just flipped it. (laughs) Oh, okay. That was wildly unnecessary, (laughs) Dom. Anyway, Rick... (laughs) Send that clip to the client. (laughs) Yeah, they're going (laughs) to love it. Uh, anyway, Rick Tockett spoke to media in Colorado ahead of tonight's game uh, about Archie Baines getting in the lineup and more. Here's Rick Tockett. Coach, I wonder what you guys talked about today after last night's game. Well, a little, obviously discipline, you know, handling a little bit of pressure, but group's been great all year, you know, a little bit of adversity sometimes is good for us. But, you know, we got the stick penalties got to stop, you know, whether... You know, the refs are, can't blame the refs. You know, we just got to keep our sticks down. You talk often about them being independent and taking some of it upon themselves. Did you see a little bit of that this morning? Oh, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, I mean, proof's in the pudding, you know. Uh, I think we only lost two in a row a couple of times. This team deals with adversity really well, but uh, it's gonna, the heat's going to get hotter. You're going to play some teams that are desperate. You're going to play some really great teams like tonight. So these are the tests that you have to have resolve. You know, you can't let a bad call dictate your attitude or play the next shift and I think that's something we got to work on. In your experience we've got the mentors trip here. What does that mean to the guys and does that get them up a little bit knowing that they have a special group with them? I think so. I think the fathers are you know whether it's a a brother or a mentor they're proud of their you know their sons and I think it's a it's fun to see the the families involved somehow and I think the fathers are you know being up there be proud to see their kids and what they've accomplished just not even this year just over their career so I think uh you know, I don't really, it's not the wins and losses. It's, I think it's, for me, the fathers get a chance to be with their sons and be proud of them. Is it good to face adversity, talk throughout a season, try to figure out how you can handle it and how you push through it? Well, I mean, I don't care who, if you're going to go and you can ask Colorado, if you're going to go through, if you want to go far, you're going to face it. There's not, you don't pick and choose adversity. Adversity can hit you at any time and it can hit you 10 times worse at any time. So I think, uh, I mean, it's always good. I mean, who, who, who wants to play hockey games for, for nothing? We tasted that last year, you know, we're playing for something. So that should get you going and that should be, help you have scar tissue for that adversity that hits you, you know, and how to handle situations, how to manage the puck, how to manage the game, you know, whether you're up to or down to. Coach, uh, hockey players are renowned for just uh, being able to kind of turn the page on players. Like, let's say if you make a trade and someone comes, then back in your day when you were playing, did you ever go to a team and maybe hate a guy and then you realized, I I really like that guy, I he's one of my good friends now or yeah many times you know being traded uh, you've you know got you know especially myself where you mix it up with a guy a little bit bit of bad blood but you know once you hit that room it's brotherhood it's the crest you know it's this guy's on my team I'm going to protect his protect his back so yeah that stuff go I, I mean and I think it's today's player too um, but yeah for sure you uh, there's a brotherhood there when you hit that dressing room you know the the guys you know, you got that guy's back why is that why I mean how can players are a different breed that way they've always been that way you guys look fight each other and then yeah. have a beer after the game or something you know or well i just think it's the common goal right yeah you, you want to win you know so you you know to win you have to make sure that uh, you got your guys back you know um there's no hidden agendas you know it's a team thing you know when you hit when a team acquires you you know you are going there to play for their team and individuals on that team you have to be obviously partners with so any bad blood stuff that i mean that's that's out the door you know as soon as you hit the door 
about how this Vancouver group is observably more mature and the buy-in has improved. How have you fostered that aspect in this group? Yeah, I think since, since uh, well, coming in last year, talking to the players over the summer, knowing what they wanted out of themselves and the organization and uh, the coaching staff and then applying it, right? I think, uh, you know, maybe last year, years past, there was different agendas. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't here. But I feel the buy-in is is, uh, is big around here. And then if we're a little off kilter, <clears throat> you know, we have enough people to get us on track, you know, whether it's management, whether it's coaches, whether it's leadership group, or whether it could be anybody. I think everybody's buying into that. So, um, but like I said, you know, the the temperature's going to get hotter. It's going to, you know, the pressure, and we just got to be able to deal with that sort of stuff. Is it kind of cool to look up in the rafters and see footers 52 up there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, most thing I'm proud of, I mean, I wasn't, you know, Footer was a reason why I took the job, you know, bringing him here. He's been terrific for me, hell of a coach. Uh, I coached him here in Colorado. I know what he means to the city, but the way he played the game and what he's taught our defense is uh, just miles and miles of, of experience. And how many games has he played in the heat and how many games, game sevens or the Detroit rivalries or, you know, elimination games. You know, he knows how to handle that stuff. So that's why he's got a wealth of knowledge that he can help some of our guys that have, that they have an experience. You know, we're playing a team that, that we're playing a team tonight that's experienced that stuff. So they handle the resolve really well. We're going to have to, we got to learn from those type of guys. Aside from being experienced and well-rounded, what does Colorado do particularly well that you guys need to be on alert for? Well, their execution rate, um, obviously they're high level. You know, McKinnon at any time can strike for, you know, I think when we played him, I thought we played a really good game for a while, and all of a sudden he, they broke loose. Um, so you have to make sure you manage the puck against this team. Um, I don't see them get very often get rattled, you know, over the years. I've covered this team, even in the media for TNT, and I was here when they won the Cup. Just the way they handled adversity was, uh, was really, you know, nice to watch from the outside. So um, they got great coach and obviously great organization and they got great players. So to me, it's just a, 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 a learning from them how they handle their resolve. Demko? Demko, yeah. Will we see Baines make his debut? Yeah, the uh, possibility. Yeah, I think we're going to probably play him tonight. Just got a couple more, just a couple of things here and there, but uh, I'd like to get him in the lineup. Garland's okay? Garland's okay, yeah. There is Rick Tockett today ahead of tonight's game in Colorado. Uh, pretty pointed, I thought about the idea of composure, the idea that you can't let a referee's call uh, impact you for a subsequent shift or, or two. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Tockett's telling us without saying it, like he thinks his team lost composure against the Wild. And I think it's like it's pretty clear. Yeah, I mean, um, if the scoreboard didn't tell you that already. <laughs> yeah, there was 10 goals scored on them yesterday, guys. You might have lost some composure. Six unanswered. Um, anyway, from the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, related to that, uh, this text, when a professional official, in quotes, is the professional official, calls a goal when the puck hits the outside of the net, he is showing bias and that he should be pulled from the game. When an official calls a second, third, or fourth multiple player advantage power play, that is biased, and he should be removed and reprimanded. Um, oh, come on. Yeah. I So... In terms uh, of refing, another the, the, thing that the optics on calling a goal when the puck had slid under the uh, short side of the net, I realistically I think they were looking at it. I think the referees were just like, "There's nothing on the play that would negate a goal, and the puck is in the back of the net, so that this should stand if it's a goal." 
Yeah. And I think so that's what they were doing. That yeah, and then once matter. they checked, there was no doubt. Uh, but this text, so I, ju- I, I just wanted to use it because one, uh, people were getting a little mad at you online. That happens sometimes. Oh, really? I didn't see it. Well, not a little mad. They were disagreeing with you. I don't see much of this anymore. Um, because because Casey DeSmith, the game time goal, a lot of people thought Casey DeSmith had it covered and that the ref should have blown the whistle before, uh, obviously, Kaprizov scores the goal, game time goal, and that was part of the big momentum shift for the Wild. You... Disagree with that. Don't think it should have been called. But just go look at the clip. Like, you can see McIsaac sneak in. He's got a great vantage point. The puck's never dead. Like, the puck's never dead. The overhead camera doesn't have the same angle that he does, right? Mm. Like, there's stuff under the pad. There's there's different things that we can't see. The puck never looks dead to me at any point. And even when, like, Ian Cole's lying on it, where I thought, like, I thought there's no way you blow it dead under DeSmith. The puck's the puck's not dead. Um it's clearly moving but like behind him like the players aren't just whacking away at him willy-nilly. It's not one of those. Mm-hmm. Like they can see where the puck is and and the referee can see it moving. Where I thought it could have been called dead was actually after uh it trickled to Ian Cole and yet even there you can see the puck keeps bouncing up yeah. to his hands and he's like pushing it down trying You can't you can't lie on a puck to to blow the play dead. In the defensive zone, like, we don't want that. We don't want teams trying to spoil a puck. We don't want to give defenders that advantage. That's not how the game should work. Um, To me, it was, like, an unusual call because the referee did such a good job to maintain a view of the puck and be patient with it. Like, to me, it was actually good work, uncommonly good work, and that gave it the feeling of injustice because usually you would see that play more lazily blown dead, and that would be a mistake. That would be an error. I think that was good stuff. Like, I think Al McIsaac um, killed it. Like, I, I think that was really good refereeing, to be totally honest with you. Uh, that, But that's just my view after I sort of went back and rewatched the clip just because I was... Um, yeah, I had to rewatch it because I was like, what did I just see? <laughs> it was a mess. Man. I literally had to rewatch the third period just to understand what had happened. The one, like, the one thing I will say, and you kind of mentioned it, is 90, 95% of the time... That when that happens and the puck is lost, the ref is in such not I don't want to say such poor position, but not in the right position to see the puck. So they're just like, hey, can't see it, blow it dead. Yep. And most of the time, and we've seen it go against the Canucks, we've seen it work for the Canucks. Sometimes the puck is still loose and they just miss it. It happens. This time, it's just we're kind of mad at the ref doing their job. And I, I just don't I don't really agree with it yesterday. Uh, it being on the officiating yesterday was on the Canucks like this uh, this text both games were on the Canucks like at the end of the day the officiating I didn't like the officiating in the Winnipeg game in that in that I thought the like I have no problem with the Lowry hit on Niels Amon in fact I want that hit in the game People called it, like, I think it could have been boarding because of how far away Amon was. Like, maybe it's a borderline boarding call, maybe a coin flip. But but I typically want to see that hit um, because I didn't think it was dangerous. I, I thought the screenshots that showed he'd left his feet were completely unfair. That was after the point of contact. Um, the strides are irrelevant because he broke stride after gaining position. I have no problem with that. I think Amon was probably a little far from the wall. Probably want that to be boarding. Uh, judgment call for me. There were big hits going both ways, though. Yeah, my, my problem with that hit is not that hit, though, 
My problem is if you're letting that go, I'm all for it, especially given the vibe and general dynamic and, and physical intensity of that Winnipeg Canucks game. But what I really don't want to see is that call go and then Niels Hoaglander get called for, for boarding for like a far less egregious or even like further from the borderline hit, in my opinion. Yeah. To me, like the Hoaglander call was bad. The Myers call was bad. And I understood why he was so frustrated. And, um, you know, I guess the instigator was like a 50 50 for me. Lowry was just willing to go. So I think, but w- what we've seen all years, the third man in has always been getting the instigator yeah. and they've been way more strict about that this year. Cause I, I remember that they have, yeah. working for the Canucks favor at least a couple times so far this season. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is on Saturday, I can see the argument of like, Hey, you didn't get good officiating on your side. Maybe it was tilted and it felt slanted. Yeah. But yesterday, I, I'm just not. But even as then, on board even then, like that's not why they lost. You know why they lost? Because the Jets passed through them twice. Mm-hmm. Juleson was selling out for a hit on the third goal, and it, it went past him. And yeah, that's how it goes. Six fifty, six fifty, well, Dumber Lumber text. And I did feel in the moment, watching it in the moment, I did feel like the Canucks had gotten, had let the physical intensity of the game distract them. I on, agree. on both of those goals. Yes. I did feel that. So, you know, I, th- I think you have consecutive losses where maybe the Canucks got a little too high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's okay. That's okay because it this team's in first. Like, this team has earned the benefit of the doubt, and frankly, they're still playing really good hockey five-on-five. Five. So I'm not, like, worried big picture, but... But the one niggling thing, like there's two niggling concerns in the back of my head that I can't get over. One of them is, you know, a correction is coming in terms of the bounces, right? This team's enjoyed extraordinarily fortuitous bounces all season, likely at an unsustainable rate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when you're rocking those sorts of like a truly historic shooting percentage should it continue and one of the best five on five teams um say percentage wise in the league you know you can't be shocked when a bunch of like really weird breaks go against you in quick succession the way they did in 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 st paul that's one thing and then the other is i don't i don't really think that this team has faced real adversity this year i think they're coming up on on perhaps facing it and one thing we've seen in the past from this group is when, when they get going, when things are good and positive around the group, they seem to be able to ride with that. Yeah. But what we haven't seen them do is have things go badly for a prolonged stretch and find a way to arrest that, find a way to survive that, find a way to battle through it. That's that's what we didn't see at the start, uh, you know, last season, the season prior. So uh, that's sort of something that I am curious to see this group tested with, and and they're about to be. Like this game is brutal. This is a brutal spot to be in, coming off of their third period in St. Paul. Uh, Thursday against the Kraken. Kraken on two days rest. Canucks playing their third and four nights, and their fourth and six nights with cross continental travel in the mix. That's a tough spot. That's a tough spot. Then Boston on Saturday. Um, and then you've got the Kings, and then you've got Pittsburgh. I mean, these next five games are things don't let up. Are really tough, which is which is great. That's exactly what you want. And that's what I was going to say is like, hey, you're looking at these games, and hey, maybe the bounces aren't going to be going your way as much as they were early in, earlier in the season, and and you can paint it in a negative light of like, hey, they're going to have all these tests, and this is going to be very crucial to how they. Um, 
move forward through the rest of the season. But if they pass these tests, yeah. you're even more encouraged when you get to the playoffs. Is like, hey, this is a team that legitimately can do damage when they get there. And that, that's what this next month and a half is really going to be, especially when you factor in all the games against teams that the Canucks could be playing in the first couple rounds. Yeah, it's fun. Like, this is fun. This is this is a mark of this team's success. They've they've crushed it to be here, um, and it's going to be a blast. And, and they, they don't have to be a 120-point pace team here the re- over the balance of the season, like, to accomplish what they want to accomplish. It's not – that's not what we're talking about here. But they do need – they do need to survive. They do need to be 600 plus point percentage. They do need to compete at like a fringe 100 point season, uh, 100 point pace, excuse me, as they close here. If they're going to maintain like a vice grip on the things that matter, which, you know, absolutely winning the Pacific, ideally yeah. winning the West. Those things are those things are are right there for them, but they're not going to back into those things. Like, make no mistake, they're going to have to keep winning games at a very high clip. And as we mentioned earlier, Dallas has now surpassed them in uh, Dom's model, and Winnipeg, Colorado, Edmonton, pretty close behind well, right now. And LA's steadied themselves. I mean, they've been really good. That that coaching change, like they're enjoying that new coaching bump. It's working. Mm-hmm. And that team's good. Like you don't want to see LA in the first round. That yeah. is a that is a fast team that moves the puck well. Um, you know that that's a that's a tough out. That's a tough out in the first round. If you can duck them, if you can lock Vegas and, and Edmonton into a first round series against one another, I mean, that to me is how we get to the uh, the the dynasty version of this movie. The dynasty version of this movie. Uh, six fifty, six fifty. Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your text coming in. One thing Rick Tockett did mention: Arshdeep Bain's going to be. Well, he didn't. He didn't confirm that he would be in the lineup, but made it seem certainly implied it. Implied it that he would be in the lineup. Arshdeep Bain spoke to media today. Uh, here's what he had to say. What are some of the emotions ahead of what could be your NHL debut? Yeah, I think uh, if I get this opportunity, it'll be pretty pretty exciting. I think my dad's coming out for the dad's trip, so it's just a overall special day. What has Rick Tockett communicated with you in terms of your role and, and expectations? Yeah, I think not to, you know, not to do too much. I think if I get that opportunity just to go out there and kind of play my game and you know, try to help the team win. What does the foundation and the communication between Abbotsford and the NHL club do to kind of ease the transition? Yeah, I think just having the same structures in Abbotsford as they do in Van and having the, you know, like the Sedins and all those development guys come out to tell us the same things that they do in Van. It's just an easy transition, I'd say. Speak just about your journey, uh, and if it does culminate in your first NHL game tonight, just uh, keeping your head down and always believing, even though you're not drafted in the dub or the NHL. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, throughout my whole life, kind of just trying to put my foot in the door every level I get to, and it's no different here. So it's been a it's been a heck of a journey so far, and um, I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. Being from where you're from, does it make it more special that it is the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, for sure. I think that's every kid's dream to play for their their hometown team. So it's. Uh, it's nothing short of that, and I think uh, I'll be I'll be ready to go if that time comes. Who will you be thinking of if you do play? Like I know your dad's here, but who else will you be thinking of? Yeah, I just saw my family that supported me throughout my throughout my career, and kind of all the all the coaches and all the friends I've had. So it's really special. Thank you. Thanks. There's our Steve Baines ahead of tonight's game speaking to the media. Very likely he plays. Could you imagine? They were like, "Hey, go do the media," but also. 
You're not in the lineup, buddy. Nah, he's in the lineup. He's in the lineup. Uh, still don't know who's going to be coming out. If I had to put a bet on it, we talked about it earlier, probably PDG or Sam Lafferty, especially based on usage. Yeah, I don't think it'll be Niels Amon. I just, I don't, I don't love Do you Lafferty think they said Juleson? No. What would they... What you don't would, think what, so? What would the reason be? Directly culpable on four goals in the last two games? Yeah, but he's... Like, he, he was um he was the one who bit on the Zuccarello fake. Yeah. You know the Zuccarello fake on the power play that... Uh, the five on three. Uh, yeah, the five on three goal. Like he was the guy. No, it was five on four. That was, was the it? yeah. That was the. There that was, was so many powerful. So it was the five on three goal that opens the period. Then the five on four goal. They shoot it in, and Zuccarello fakes the shot behind the net. Really smart play. And if you go watch, like Juleson's uh, the only guy who buys it. Hmm. Um, I just think he's. Been and there. then and then he was also the. I think it was the seven five goal. The seven five goal was like a, an absolute nightmare shift for him. Just uh, honestly, one of those shifts that just kind of happens sometimes. Like, just nothing went right. Like two missed outlets, uh, loses a board battle, uh, just a tough one. So I, I wonder if I wonder if this is one where at least they consider like, hey, do we need to sit this guy down just to like give him a little bit of a reset, given that you know two games have kind of snowballed against him. Yeah, I just I I think you. I know the the penalty kill has had issues in the past couple games, but still, I don't know if you have a better option. On oh, you PK. don't. No, you don't. So I I think he's earned enough rope to at least. Uh, it's tough though because he's had two back to back games where it's been it's been rough. Yeah. Though I think he's earned enough rope to at least stay in the lineup tonight. If it happens again, then Seattle. I would question tonight. I think he's safe though. The, the question is though is is if it happens again. Are you like then nervous? Do you lose him? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just wonder what it does for his confidence if you sit him tonight. Yeah, too. fair enough. Um, but we'll see. I, I and also, like, I, are, I, are you I, sitting a defenseman for a forward? I wouldn't be shocked. Well, no, no, no. But that you'd play Friedman. Oh, like I, multiple moves. Yeah, yeah. I just I wonder if it's a consideration because again, I rewatched that third period and I was shocked. In part, like in rewatching it, the seven five goal and the. Zadorov one are like those are those are his mistakes mm -hmm. you know like without question so I, I didn't even realize it in real time like I was just like shaking my head kind of you know yeah. like kind of like laughing just being like <laughs> what's going crazy. on yeah um so when I kind of tried to watch back I was I was actually surprised by how much the game had gotten away from him in the third period personally uh, like on an individual basis Obviously, he's not the only guy. Make no mistake here. Like, I'm not blaming Noah Juleson for, for the meltdown in Minneapolis. But I do think the... Yeah, I, I do wonder if it would be like, take a breather, take a game, right? He's been a fixture in this lineup for months. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, you know, this sometimes happens with a 6-7 guy. Like, to get to a place where it's like you're a good 6 guy like a good third pair defenseman, you have like three weeks where you're going to look like a top four guy and, and maybe a couple games where like it's on you, that you know, lost. Yeah. and and the net result is that he's been like a good contributor uh, on the third pair. I think that's where we're at. I just wonder if the team considers giving him a, a chance to kind of reset. Before we go real quick, um, this text, McKayev should sit. I don't think he should sit. I don't know. That, I mean, that, that's been thrown around a lot on Twitter. I'm just fully, I, I'm not on board with sitting McKayev. I don't think they have better options. Yeah, that's the main thing. But man, it is unfortunate. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't look like he's moving right. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. 
We can't buy a goal right now either. He's had a couple chances oh, in the I, last couple games, and it's just uh, I, I it's think, not going for him. I think he's like fifty shots in on this goal str- on this goalless streak. Like mm-hmm. it's not like he's not getting opportunities. It's just not happening. Uh, this has been Canucks Talk. I've been Josh Elliott Wolf filling in for Jamie Dodd. He has been Thomas Drantz, as always. Appreciate Dom, Lena, and Victor producing the show. Everyone listening, texting in on the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber Text Line. Enjoy the game tonight. This has been Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.